All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and I want to share a couple scriptures here and talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper before we observe uh, the Lord's Supper, and um, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 32, and if you don't have a Bible, we have some pew Bibles now, new ones, uh, they are actually hardback Bibles that are in the, underneath the seats in front of you, so if you don't have one, you can grab one from there and uh, turn uh, to uh, the scriptures. And uh, we, this morning, are going to celebrate and to observe a Christian ordinance that is over 2,000 years old. Uh, and as we observe the Lord's Supper, uh, we are participating in a form of worship as old as Christianity itself. Uh, and if you could imagine with me the very first time it was given, I could just imagine the disciples with Christ in the Lord's Supper there, inaugurated by Jesus Christ himself on the eve of the crucifixion. And uh, in Matthew 26, uh, it shares with us that uh, he set them down and he came to the table and he gave them the elements. And it's been observed millions and millions of times since then by Christians throughout uh, the ages. And this morning, as we gather around the table, we will be proclaiming this as well, just like uh, all the others and just like the first disciples as Christ had given it uh, to them. Uh, the word ordinance is a prescribed practice or a religious rite. So there were two ordinances that Jesus gave the church. He told the church uh, that they are to observe the Lord's Supper and to be baptized. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are two ordinances or two religious rites that we are to do uh, as believers in Christ, as a church, as we come together. So all believers and all churches should observe these two things. Uh, scriptural baptism happens after salvation. Uh, it does not happen during salvation. It does not happen uh, as salvation uh, happens. Uh, we know we are spiritually baptized, obviously, but I'm talking about the physical baptism. As a person is saved in recognition of that as a picture, a sermon, that's why we are Baptists. We believe in immersion, that you go under the water, that's your death, a burial, and you're resurrected to new life. That's just a great picture of what's happened inside your heart. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing magical about the person baptizing you, but it is a picture for you to tell the world, to tell your family, to tell all those a condition of your heart. It is a picture of your heart. The second ordinance is the Lord's Supper. And as we look to these truths of the Lord's Supper, I want to dig a little deeper and show you uh, that what they really mean. So 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 through 32 says this, uh, For I received from the Lord. So this is Paul, and he's saying, I received this from the Lord, and now I'm going to deliver this to you as well. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which, it, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For let a man examine himself, and so then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if he eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats, uh, he eats and drinks uh, judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the, with the world. So first, as we see this, I want you to show you it's a symbolic service. It's symbolic in the sense that Jesus and Paul was very specific. This do in remembrance of me. A memorial. This is something that happens. Uh, as he said, he took the cup and he took the, the body, uh, the, body the, the cup and the bread. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus says in Luke twenty two nineteen, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body in which it was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there are four typical uh, conclusions that people come to the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm only going to share you the fourth one, which is the memorial view due to time, which is the one that we believe the Bible teaches that Jesus is not physically or uh, he is not spiritually in the elements. The elements of themselves are not physically the blood of Christ, nor are they spiritually the blood of Christ, but they are symbolically the blood of Christ and symbolically the body of Jesus Christ. It is a memorial. It is in remembrance of those. And as one observes the Lord's Supper, it's a proclamation just like I said during baptism, it's preaching a sermon. This morning when you take of the Lord's Supper, you are preaching a sermon to the world. You are preaching a sermon to all those who know you or who are gathered here this morning that you believe in remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, as we think about the Lord's Supper uh, and what it preaches to us, it preaches the, the suffering of Jesus. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that the blood represents the, bo the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come to the, the message of Jesus Christ, we love Christmas because it's a great story, right? We see the baby in the manger and everybody loves the baby. Who doesn't love the baby, right? I mean, how do babies get away with things we never get away with when we're older, right? I mean, they can burp. It's just so cute. They can pass gas. It's so cute. You know, and they can, they can be a mess and they get fed and they get, and like everybody, everybody oozes and awls over them. When you're 40, not so much, right? But we love a baby. We love seeing Jesus as the baby. We love thinking about him in that manger. But Jesus in the manger is only part of the story. See, that, that cradle soon becomes a cross. And the reality of the cross is real in the Christian message. That's why a lot of people have written out the cross. People don't sing about the blood of Jesus anymore. People don't look to the cross of Jesus Christ. People don't put crosses on buildings or crosses in churches. Or they don't look to the cross because it's offensive. And they want to take the cross out of Christianity. Friends, if you take the cross out of Christianity, you have no Christianity. The, the, the cross is Christianity. It is what Christ has come. It was the goal. It was the, it was the pursuit of him to go to the cross. And he paid a dear price. He shed his blood. 
He, he, was, he was not only physically taken to the limit, he was spiritually taken to the limit. The wrath of God himself was poured out on the body of Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, and you think about that cross and the suffering, and you think about him being your substitute, he died in your place. He took your place on the cross and he suffered greatly in your place, in my place, in everyone who will proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. We are we, we are going to come under the cross of Jesus Christ and he took the literal wrath of God for you and for me. And so when we take the blood or we take the we, we look to this body and this blood of Christ, we realize of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's one thing you look to when you look to the memorial. That he literally shed his blood. Uh, another thing we are to remember, not just the suffering, but the achieving Lord. We are to, to look that he didn't fail. That, that as we take the bread and we take the juice, we need to remember that Jesus did die. And that cradle became a cross, but that cross also became a crown. Look what Paul says. He says that he, he was overcome. He overcome. He, he was overcome and he, he, he was the achieving Lord. He accomplished what God had called him to do. And he died in our place, but yet he, was, he, he rose from the dead three days later. In Matthew 28, 5 through 7, it says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you who you seek, Jesus, was crucified. But he is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come, see the place where his Lord lay. And quickly they go tell his disciples and that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. I love Revelation verses 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of uh, Hades and of death. So when we come to the table, it's not a time of sorrow. It's a time of sorrow in the broken body. But it's also a time of joy because we know this Jesus overcome it. Listen, the cross was not a period. It was just a comma in the story. There's more to the story and he achieved because he was resurrected and, and the cradle became a crown and the, and the, I mean the cross and the cross became a crown. And we also are to remember that not only did he achieve it, but he's returning again one day. I love what he says here. He says, do this until I return. That's what he tells them. And I love the fact that Jesus is going to return and Jesus is going to come again and not like the first time. He's not going to come suffering servant. He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords, right? Let me tell you, I want to know that Jesus. But I promise you, if you don't know the suffering servant, you're not going to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. He is not coming to fit in. He's coming to take over, right? And the Bible says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and every, everyone will come to know this King of kings and Lord of lords because he will rule. He's the, he's the overcoming Lord. And we see it symbolically. And we see it as, it as for what it represents. But we also see it as a sacred service. And what I mean by sacred is we're to hold it in high regard. We're not to err on, on side of caution to where we make it more than what it is, but we're not also to belittle, belittle it to where it's not where it should be in our hearts. In our hearts, it should be consecrated. It should be sacred. It should be a time to where we see it was instituted by Jesus himself. 
If Jesus did it, don't you think we should do it as well, right? He said, if I had told you to do it and Jesus did it with his disciples, he set the example. And it's sacred because Jesus set the example and he says it witnesses to Christ and it witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. And for those who are saved, we're proclaiming this man named Jesus is sacred to us. And the blood of Christ has saved us and his body was broken for you and for me. And that forever should be a part of our heart that should forever sing praise to the Lord. Listen, we can joke and we can, we can, make, uh, we can make fun and we can have a good time. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it should be sacred in our hearts to know that that's talking about Jesus. That's talking about the one that paid the price for you and for me. That's talking about the one who shed his blood and, and took the place on the cross for you and for me. And for all those who partake of it, we point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, and I've challenged you before, and I challenge you even every, uh, every week, I try to challenge you to let people know how serious Jesus is in your life by telling them, by witnessing to them, by sharing with them what Christ has done for you and for me. Because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not because you're a member of this church that you're going to go to heaven. It's not that you don't know me. Please don't ever think you're going to heaven because you know me. If you get there and tell them that Ted said or Pastor Ted said, I promise you, it's not going to be a good picture, all right? Trust me. It's not because your family or because of someone else. It's personally in your life that should be consecrated because of what Christ has done for you. Not for me, not for the church, not for your family, for you. And when you talk about Jesus, it should be sacred in your heart. And this table, when you come to it, it's a sacred thing because it's a proclamation of what Jesus Christ did for you. And it's holy and it's righteous and it's a powerful testimony. And he lives today and he will return for you and it's powerful. And so it's symbolic, it's sacred, but it's also special. It's special because it's an opportunity for the church to come together. Five times in this verse, it says the church comes together. The body of Christ comes together for the common goal of lifting up Jesus Christ. For all of us to focus on what Christ has done for us. And you know, as a church, every week we should be focused on that. But sometimes we lose track, right? Sometimes we come to church and we think, oh, I hope I get there early enough to get the sprinkled donuts, right? Or maybe I hope we get there early enough. It's hopefully they sing my favorite song. Or hopefully they, that Pastor Ted's not so boring this morning, right? Or hope, I hope that I get my parking spot. And yet, many times we just get off track easily. And we lose our focus because we begin to look around instead of looking up. And this time when we come together, there's no way to look but up. When we look to the table, we see the blood and we see the body of Christ. And it's all of us together proclaiming the same thing at one time. That, that we are a special people, that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and Him alone. And for us as Christians, we gather to be able to proclaim that to the world. Everyone else that gathers in a place, they don't gather for this reason. They don't gather for this pro proclamation. And the observance of this is something that is great. And what a great time for us as a Christian. You say, well, pastor, what should we do during this time? Let me tell you what I do. First, I repent. That's what I do. It's a great time for repentance. Listen, repentance means to turn around. Repentance means to turn from your sins. And listen, there are, there are things in our heart and our lives that get accumulated over time. And if we don't deal with them, if we don't repent from them, if we don't get cleansed of them, then, then we must look to them. And sins, they get real sticky. 
And I, I've said this before, but it's true because, you know, when I went to college, I, I, I learned a lot of things when I went to college. I learned that when you throw your shirt on the floor the next morning, it's not going to be washed and put back in your closet, all right? I learned that you just don't walk by the kitchen and food magically appears on the table, all right? I learned a lot of things. My mama spoiled me. I know I'm a mama's boy, all right? I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm a mama's boy. But I learned also that dishes don't just wash themselves, all right? And, you know, every great college cook knows how to cook ramen noodles, right? You know what I mean? And so eating ramen noodles, I learned that if I don't go ahead and wash my dish that night, guess what happens the next morning? The next morning, you almost need like a hammer and chisel to get them off the, to get them off the dish, which also reminds me, what do you think that does to your stomach? But anyways, <laughs> but you got to chisel it off. But if you keep up with the dishes, they're not that bad. But if you let them sit there week after week after week after week, and it starts to stink and it starts to smell and all this stuff's accumulated and it's real dirty. That's the way our heart gets sometimes. We get, we get out of touch with our wife or our, or our husband, with our kids. And next thing you know, we get a little root of unb- uh, uh, bitterness in our heart. And next thing you know, we're griping, we're complaining. Next thing you know, we're, we're, we're at work and something happens. And next thing you know, it begins to accumulate and our hearts get dirty. And all of a sudden, we've got to have a point to call a timeout and say, wait a minute. I need to cleanse my heart. All this sin in my life is not good, and I need a reset button. I need to hit the reset to wash my heart and to cleanse my heart. And you guys know, if you've been coming to this church any amount of time, 1 John 1, 9 is my favorite verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what a great time when you come to the table as we have a few minutes here in a little while to be able to examine our hearts and to be able to say, what sin is stuck to my heart? What sin has got me all gunked up to where I have no joy and I have no peace? I have no gratefulness. What is it in my heart that I need to get cleansed out? And it's a great time to repent of our sins. It's a great time to repent of our selfishness as well. Let me tell you, we not only are sinners by nature, but we're selfish by nature. We got to have it our way. And when it doesn't go our way, we get upset, right? We get mad and we got to think that everything's got to revolve around us. And we think that everybody's got to cater to our needs. And we think that our kids have to do it our way and our family has to do it our way and everything has to be our way. Maybe you're here this morning, you had a terrible Thanksgiving because it didn't go your way, right? You didn't get what you wanted to eat, you didn't get to go where you wanted to go. And we get selfish. We get selfish into thinking it's all about me. It's all about uh, myself. And we don't consider our spouses. We don't consider our family. We don't consider our church. We, we're not considerate of those who are around us. And what a great time to come to the Lord's table and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and, and, and wash me in my selfishness. Wash it, wash it out of my heart that I need to repent of that. I need to remember those things in my heart. Confess to the Lord and say, Lord, purify my heart. Let me, give me a clean slate. And then we also have the opportunity to renew because it doesn't leave you where you are. When you confess, when you come to the Lord's Supper, and it's a wonderful time for you to renew your vow to the Lord. Listen, it's getting to the end of the year. Some of you said you was going to read your Bible through this year. <laughs> you made it to Leviticus and stopped, all right? Some of you said you were going to pray more. And some of you said you're going to, you were going to serve more. And some of you said all these things. I mean, what a great time to look to this, to this time and say, Lord, here's my heart. Let me renew it again to you. 
Let me tell you, there, there's a great feeling to know when, when the Lord restores the joy of your salvation and the peace in your heart. And, and verse 28 says to examine yourselves here. And in, in, in chapter 11, the verb is an imperative move. It means this is a command, not an option. So for us and for you and for me, that's our verb this morning. That's the imperative. You are to examine yourself, examine your heart. That word confess that I gave you from 1 John 1, 9 means to agree with the Lord. I've shared this before and it's so true. You know, when you live by yourself and you're single and you uh, get mad at someone, you can get glad all of a sudden and not even have to worry about telling anyone else, right? You figure in your life it's all taken care of. But when you get married, you think the same thing happens. Let me guess, tell you, you're wrong, all right? Because when Aaron and I first got married 22 years ago, can you believe that? I got married when I was 15 years old. But anyways, <laughs> 22 years ago, when we got married, when I messed up, I thought, well, I know I messed up, and she knows I messed up. Everything's okay. And guess what? It wasn't okay, right? It wasn't okay because I had to confess it to her. I had to agree with her that I was wrong. And there's something that God has hardwired in men. It's hard for us to do that, ladies. You got to give us a little bit of a break, all right? But it was hard to say, honey, I was wrong. I agree with you that I was wrong. Listen, that's what confesses. That's what it means to examine yourself. It's to come to the Lord and come with a clean heart and say, Lord, I agree with you. This wasn't right in my life. This is not right. And I need to examine myself. I need to purify my heart. And you say, well, what, what should we begin with? I want to give you three things to think about when we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Number one, examine your salvation. Are you sure that you're saved? Listen, so many people join a church. So many people are born into a family. So many people hear the story. And they have an emotional attraction to the story of Christianity. And they feel like that's salvation. And let me tell you, salvation doesn't happen in the mind. It doesn't happen in the emotions. It happens in the heart. It happens in the heart. And when you know that you're lost and you can never be saved and you understand who Jesus Christ is and the Lord Jesus Christ comes in your life, you'll never forget it. You can't get over it. It's something that is stuck in your soul forever. And for us as Christians, before we come to the Lord's table, what a great time to say, Lord, do I know you or do I not know you? And the Bible says that you and the, and the Spirit will bear witness with your soul if you're born again or you're not. I can't tell you if you're saved. You can't tell me if I'm saved. But the Spirit of the Lord can tell you and the Spirit of the Lord can tell me. And what a great time for you this morning to examine your heart and say, Lord, am I really saved? Have I really come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Not because of my family, not because of a church, not because I think I'm a good person, but because of who you are and what you've done for me. Do I really have a relationship with you? Number one, you can examine your relationship with God. Number two, you can examine if you're right with the Lord or not. And the Bible says if you're saved, examine yourself and confess your sins to the Lord. This is what we were talking about just a second ago. You know, there's something in our life that when we get it all built up and we don't confess our sins, we don't repent of our sins, then we bring that to the Lord's table and that just, that just compounds and it goes on and on and on and on. Let me tell you the problem with sin in your life. Sin in your life has consequences. I tell my kids this all the time and Aaron and I try to share this with them when they're growing up. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose your consequences. 
And if you have sin in your heart, there's going to be consequences from those sins. And those consequences are going to come and they come gently at first, but then they get a little stronger, a little stronger, a little stronger. You see what Paul was telling here. These are those who were here. Some were sick and some were outside of the fellowship. Some were sleeping with their, went to sleep with these sins that they were so heavy on their heart, they drugged them even physically down. Let me tell you, you as a Christian, you don't, you shouldn't bear the weight of that sin. The most miserable person in the world is not a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ because they can sin and get away with it. The most miserable person is a Christian who knows Jesus Christ but is not in fellowship with him. It makes you bitter. It makes you, it makes you grumpy. It makes you upset all the time. It makes, you, it makes you not right with the Lord and not right with people. And what a great time as you are here this morning. Examine your heart and say, Lord, let me confess my sin and wash my heart, Peter, because I want to be right with you and I want to be right with people. And make sure you have the right spirit as you focus on your heart. And you receive this communion, this Lord's Supper to say, Lord, I come at a time of worship. You know what worship is? Worship is ascribing worth or glory to God. That's what it is. And this morning, as you take of the Lord's Supper, you are to ascribe worthiness to God. You're to ascribe praise to his name. We are to, to take it and say, Lord, this is something that I'm pouring my heart out. And you know, after all this, as we look to this, some people might say, well, who is worthy of taking the Lord's Supper? It's simple. The one who knows what the body and the blood of Jesus Christ is all about. And this morning, if you know Jesus Christ and you've come to the, the Lord Jesus Christ, as you take of this Lord's Supper, I invite you to take this this morning and I invite you to examine yourself. And I invite you to examine your heart and confess it to the Lord. And as you partake of the Lord's Supper, let's worship the Lord together. We're gathered in one place for one purpose and one meaning to be able to exalt the name of Jesus and what, it's done for, for what he's done for us. And if you've never been saved before, if you're lost and, you've never, and you don't know Jesus Christ, what a great day to come to know him. What a great day during the time of examination here in a minute when we, uh, when we have a few moments to think about our hearts, to be able to just confess your sins and say, Lord Jesus, I know I have made mistakes and I know I've missed the mark. Because we all have. The Bible says, for all have uh, sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this morning, you don't proclaim yourself as a perfect person. You proclaim yourself as a sinner and you've been saved. I told uh, last week, one of my favorite little sayings that I've heard, a little boy in Sunday school class, and he says, I did the sinning and Jesus did the saving, right? That's what it's all about with Christianity. We do the sinning and Jesus did the saving, and as Jesus Christ saves us, and as Jesus Christ uh, touches our hearts, and we are saved through this blood of Jesus Christ, that's what it's all about. And I pray this morning, if you're lost, you come to know the Lord this morning, as you take the Lord's Supper, it'll be your first sermon you preach to those around you to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for me.